Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. So, how many of you remember that we started a series? How many of you noticed we didn't finish? We started going through James, uh, but then we had guest speaker, we had Father's Day, we had the graduation weekend. So I am going to finish with uh, teaching from the fifth chapter of James today, and we will wrap up that series. It won't have been in a row, but if you go online, you can find it all in a row. So um, let's start with James chapter one, or sorry, chapter five, verse one says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. What an opener. Now the question is, which rich people? Is he talking to all rich people? Is this to every person who has any money? Let's keep going. It says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So this is to the rich people who hoarded wealth. It says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. These are riches who failed to pay those who they owed what they owed them. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. This is the rich who were self-indulgent. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent who was not opposing you. Now, if you grew up in the church, you probably met Christians who believed that riches were always bad. How many of you have ever been around that? I, didn't, I never met my grandfather. When, when my parents, I think, were dating, he passed away. I never met him. But my father tells me this story. He says they grew up in Granville. They were a low to middle class family. And when his father would drive through town, he remembers driving through the nicer neighborhoods in Grand Rapids and his dad driving in the car and the kids looking, oh, look at that big, beautiful house. Look at that mansion. And he would go, I bet you they've got problems and they've got, and they're probably on the verge of divorce and they've got this. He believed that it was wrong to have wealth. Now, when the scripture says something, Like, listen, you rich people, weep because your misery is coming on you. We use scripture to interpret scripture. And we look at the rest of the context. Well, which rich people is he talking about? And we looked in there. Well, he's talking about those who were self-indulgent, those who, who were cheating those. They were withholding what was due to others. We can also look in scripture. Is every rich person in scripture villainized? comes to mind Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, his brothers, Job, Lot, Boaz, Abigail, Nabal, King David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Zacchaeus, and Matthew, Joseph of Arimathea, the Roman centurion, Lydia, Dorcas, Barnabas, and Philemon, all of whom were very wealthy. We recognize even the scripture, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the, do you remember this one? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That scripture says that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And then it says everyone who has money, no, it says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We are, this, the scripture warns us against the dangers of wealth. It does not say that wealth itself, you cannot serve wealth, you cannot serve money and God. God has to be the priority. Solomon, who was the richest man ever, how did he become so wealthy? He received God's blessing. How did he receive God's blessing? When he was given an opportunity to pursue anything, anywhere, anything. He was, God just said, blank check, what would you like to, me to do for you? Instead of pursuing riches, he pursued God. He said, give me the wisdom to rule the people you've put me over. And God said, right answer. You have put me as priority, so I will bless you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says, Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, who is rich in this present world? What? Us. I looked it up in 2018. If you can scratch together $4,000, you are in the upper half of the entire world population. Now, most of us could do that if we needed to. Give us, give us a month or two. If we don't already have it sitting in our bank account, we could pull that together. You are already the upper half. And some of you will say, well, I've got a bunch of, of <laughs> not really because I've got so much credit card debt. Mm. You know, how did you get that? By enjoying your future earnings a little bit too early. Still, you are Blessed, You are a part of the rich. He says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. It doesn't say command those who are rich not to have wealth. It says don't put your hope in wealth. Why? Because it is so uncertain. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you see that verse in there? God actually provided everything for our enjoyment. It is not wrong to enjoy AC on a hot day. How many of you enjoy AC on a hot day? It is not wrong for us to enjoy the fruits of, of our labor and the blessing that God has given us. But he says, don't put your trust there. He also says, don't withhold from others what is due to them. If you, if you are amassing by not paying out to those who are due, by cheating those who you should be, um, who you owe or who you should be paying, then you've got a problem. It says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. We are... We are to enjoy it, but we are simultaneously commanded by God to be willing to share. We are, does that mean you owe to everyone who doesn't have? 
No, that's not what it says. But you are commanded to be willing to share. You are commanded to be doing good deeds. Some people say, well, who do I, who do I have to give to? Listen, the answer to a thousand questions is be led by the Holy Spirit. There is not a formula that I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, if you have more than this many dollars, then you owe this much of it to that person who has less than this many dollars, and you punch in the formula, and you have to go around. No. Be led by the Holy Spirit. When you see a situation, check with your spirit. Say, God, is this one of my opportunities to be a blessing? Am I called to be involved in this situation? God, do you want to use what you blessed me to do this? Just ask. Just pray. The Bible says that God is faithful to give seed to the sower. I'm not worried that you're going to give too much. Hi, what does the Bible say? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If you ask and the Holy Spirit confirms, then go for it. There will be times, wouldn't it? Well, you know, and I'll use this example, although it's not necessarily financial giving. When I see somebody on the side of the road with their thumb out, I've made it a habit to ask the Holy Spirit. Do I pick up every hitchhiker I ever see? No, I don't. Do I sometimes pick up hitchhikers? Absolutely, I do. Sometimes. I don't, I don't see myself as as duty-bound to pick up everybody. But a long time ago, I said, God, when that happens, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to check with you. And I've had some amazing interactions. I've had some that were pretty boring. I'm like, well, God, I don't know what, what you thought was going to happen there, but you know, whatever it is, it's not obvious to me. But just ask. The Bible says don't put your hope in riches. Let's continue. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient. None of us really love hearing that. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Now, how many of you have a hard time waiting for the sun to come up in the morning? Most of us are pretty patient. You know why? Because you understand that you don't have a role in pushing the sun up. And neither does your wife and kids or anybody around you, right? It's, it's not overly difficult to wait for things that are completely out of our control or completely out of the control of others. We've kind of gotten used to that. You know what's hard to be patient with? The things that others have a part in, right? You know, it's not overly frustrating to wait for the sun to come up because you know it's going to happen eventually and it's pretty predictable that it will. But to wait for recognition at work for all the hard, you know, from your boss for all the hard work you've done? I mean, they could do it today if they wanted to. They just don't want to. They just don't care. 
Look what the verse, it says, verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. The Bible recognizes that when we're impatient, you know, most of the time we're impatient with other people. I mean, to a degree, you can be impatient. My kids are impatient to grow taller. You know, they don't really have anybody to blame directly. I mean, genes, but, you know, they're impatient. But what really gets us is when we're waiting for someone else to act. It says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Wow. We've talked about this earlier in this series. We talked about how when we judge, we invite judgment on ourselves, And we talked about how judgment is not the recognition of good or bad character. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible says that we are to, to know them by their fruit. How many of you recognize that? However, judgment is when we assign value based on what we see. When you say, that person is less than because. So, scripturally, if someone, let's say this is, I'm trying to think of an example that isn't gonna step on too many toes. But scripture talks about avoiding adulterers, drunkards, and thieves. Right? If you see that and you recognize, you know what, there is not good fruit in that person's life, I'm not going to make that person my best friend. You have not done something against Scripture at that point. However, if you look at that person and say, I am better than them because I don't do those things, what have you just done? You have judged them. You have, you have valued them based on their mistakes. You have said, I have better, more value than they do because I do and they don't, or they don't and I do. Right? When we assign value, God says we are all made in his image. When he looks down on us, he sees our value as equal. When I look at another person, when I see somebody who is struggling in life and, and making choices that are, that are damaging, my response cannot be, or should not be, oh, I'm better than they are. I've, I judge myself to be of greater worth than that. That is the, the, the type of judgment that the Bible tells us is wrong. We, it is, we condemns it. We will be condemned. It invites uh, judgment on us. All right, I think I'll continue. I think I made that point. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. It was talking about patience. It was talking about being patient with other people, recognizing the, that our challenge 
for patience will come when other people aren't doing what we wish they would do fast enough. And you know what happens when you want something to happen and it doesn't happen fast enough? You suffer. You're frustrated. And it says, for an example of patience in the face of suffering, let's look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. How many of you want to persevere? How many want to be counted as having persevered? How many of you realize in order to have persevered, you have to have encountered something unpleasant? Yeah, I want to have persevered. I want to be a persevered. I want to be counted as blessed as one who has persevered. But you know what? In order to persevere, I had to put up with some stuff. Those who persevered had to deal with the frustration, the temptation to be un impatient with somebody who could but hasn't yet. Life is full of moments when we're going to look at life and you're going to say, if only everybody did what they should or could for me already, I'd be making more money, I'd be living in this place, I'd be having this, I'd be this, I'd be that, I'd be, right? If only everybody did what, what affects me already. But we are called by God to be patient. And then he says we are blessed when we persevere. We are blessed when we persevere. He says you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen that the Lord what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Just a quick recap if you don't remember Job's story. Job was a pretty wealthy guy. He lost all his belongings. He lost all his, his wealth and his riches. And then everything, he refused to blame God. And then God turned around and blessed him with double everything he lost. The Bible says, if you wonder what if, if you need inspiration to be patient and to persevere, look to Job. Look at how his perseverance paid off in the end. Why? Because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There's no perseverance without difficulty. Patience requires waiting. How many of you have ever been to the doctor? How many of you have ever been to a doctor who was on time? I don't know if we're going to have any hands up. Right? You need to be here at 9 o'clock. In fact, they'll say 9 o'clock, but then they'll give you a note that says, you should arrive 15 minutes early to fill out all the paperwork because they don't want to wait for you to fill out the paperwork. So you get there at 8.45. If you're a good Dutch boy like me, you get there five minutes early to your 15 minutes early because you got to be early for the time that, you know, whatever they say, you got to be early for that. So I get there at 8.40. I fill out the paperwork, and then I'm sitting there in the waiting room till 9. 
And then they come in like they're on time. Okay, we're ready for you. Like, I've been ready for you for almost an hour. Here's the thing. How many notice? The the doctor knows this is happening, so what do they do? They give you nice cushy seats to sit on. They put out the magazines that you can look through. And and they they make it as comfortable as possible. Why? Because they know you're going to have to wait. How many of you realize the, the waiting room of life isn't always so comfy? In order to persevere, you're going to have to wait. Sometimes, how many of you guys have ever been in line behind somebody at the checkout and like they're going through a bag full of coupons? Now, on one hand, if all you've got is you know, a bag of hot dog buns and you've got two hours to get home with them, Ain't no thing. But what if, like I've done a few times, you went in to get that one thing, but then you got a few more, and you've got like an entire gallon of milk held by your pinky finger, and it's starting to freeze your finger, and it's tight, and you've got, you know, the other items balanced, right? And you're standing there waiting. And they've got the whole tray, you know, full of their stuff, and they're fishing through, they're looking for their their coupons, and you're in this uncomfortable position, and then you have to wait. Suddenly, waiting feels differently. Why? Because it's not comfortable. The Bible says God is full of grace and mercy. We need to remember in those moments that God rewards our patience. That he is a rewarder of those who do good. If they do not faint, is what the scripture says. Verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What is this talking about? Do not swear by heaven and earth. So, some, some people, this may be something you've been around a lot of. Other people, it's, it's less so. But how many of you have ever heard someone say, I, I swear by, I promise over my mom's dead body or my, my father's grave or I swear. How many have ever heard an oath being made? Here's the thing, what's the difference between a promise and an oath? A promise is simply a commitment backed by your own recognizance. You know what? Tomorrow, I'll pick you up and bring you to work. I'll be there at 8.30. Is there anything wrong with that? I promise. What, what is my promise based on? The value of my word. I have committed to be there, I will be there. The Bible says it is not right to say, I swear on this or that. I wager, what what a oath is, is basically it's a wager against something else. It's a wager against, well, in that case, the memory of your mother. Or a wager against whatever it is that's being sworn by. 
And, and the Bible says that our word should be enough. It is, the, God says, I don't, I don't want to see you wagering on others because your word is and should be valuable enough. You misunderstand the value of your word when you wager against something else. Your word is what matters and values. Your, let it, your yes be yes and your no be no. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. To swear by something outside of yourself diminishes who you are. What you're saying is, you shouldn't trust me. Trust me because I'm, I'm bringing in as collateral this other stuff. You're, you're diminishing who you are. Psalms 15.4 says this, God honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. God says it, that he will honor us if we commit to something and then keep it even when we realize. You call me up, hey, I need a, a ride to work tomorrow. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'd be happy to. See you at 8.30. Okay. Well, then something happens. The dog has an accident at like 11.45 p.m. And so you're up, you know, shampooing the carpet until 1.30 in the morning. Suddenly, getting up in time to go pick them up at 8.30 in the morning just doesn't feel like it anymore because you weren't expecting to be up until 2.30 in the morning. So what do you do? I do it anyway. If I promise that I'm going to cover something and then I realize it's going to be more challenging than I thought to make it happen, what do I do? God says he will bless me when I fulfill my word, even when it hurts. And the way I read this is especially when it hurts. When I fulfill my word, even be, when it hurts, the Bible says God will honor me. I believe God's honor has value. How many of you do? I want that. Our, let our yes be yes. Let our no be no. We need to be people of honor. If, if, if we say we're going to do it, we should be able to count on it. I know for me, my problem isn't deciding it's not worth for me. Mine is just remembering what I promised to do. It's like, oh, sure, honey, I'll, I'll get you that. I'll do that for you. And then she's like, well, did you pick up such and such? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't intentionally decide not to get it. I just didn't remember to do it. But even still, my yes needs to be yes. My no needs to be no. We need to value what we have said enough to remember to do it. I'm preaching to myself on that one. Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. How many of you have ever been in trouble? How many of you, when we're in trouble, 
praying is the first thing, or is, is prayer like plan D? It's like, I'm in trouble, well, I'm gonna call mom, and then I'm gonna call my siblings, and then I'm gonna try to figure, you know, I'm gonna do this, this, this. <sighs> Nothing is working, let's pray. <laughs> right? I, no, nothing works, so, so I think I need, to, I need to get the prayer group together. No, the Bible says, are any of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You know, how many of you realize the same thing? When we're in trouble, if we don't recognize, the Bible says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. If we don't recognize that, then when we get a challenge, we go everywhere else first and then come back to it. Same, same symptom, well, I say, say same problem, different symptom, is when everything is going good, you don't praise God for it. You assume, well, I, I just must have done everything right this week. When everything's wrong, I don't go to God. When everything's right, I don't thank God. The Bible says, when you're in trouble, pray. When, every, when you're happy, sing praises. What does that mean? Thank God. Recognize that both he is the source of help and the source of blessing. If we're the type that doesn't go to him immediately in prayer, we're probably the type who isn't grateful of him for what we have. We're like, you know what, God? I, I, everything's hunky-dory. See you in a month. Maybe I'll see you Sunday morning. I'll see you when, when I've got a problem that I can't solve by going to my first plan A, B, C, and D. Then I'll come to you. No, the Bible says when, things are, when you've got a problem, go there first. And you know what? That doesn't mean that you're not going to have help from elsewhere. But when you pray, God may say, okay, this is how to deal with it. Go to this person. Talk to this person. They know what to do. Oftentimes, God answers prayer through the people in our lives. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed and, and, and just felt, okay, I'm getting an idea of, of where to go, who to go to what, to, what to do, how to respond. When I pray, one of the things I pray for is wisdom. I think if you listen to my prayers, you'll probably get annoyed with how often I ask for wisdom because the Bible says in James that I can ask for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, ask the Lord and he will give it to you. So when a situation is befuddling to me, Man, I am really quick to say, God, give me wisdom. When I'm praying for my kids, I say, God, give them wisdom. When I'm praying for my wife, God, give her wisdom. Let the right choice be clear. So any of you happy? Let them praise, sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord, who, who will heal them? The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Same thing. When I'm in trouble, I pray. 
when I am doing good, when I'm happy, I praise God. I recognize who and what my source is. And when I am sick, the Bible says, pray. Pray the prayer of faith. Call up someone else to agree with you in prayer. There is power in agreement, but there needs to be agreement. How many of you realize, how many of you, <clears throat> let's go through, let's role play a scenario. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Great. How many of you are convinced Bob's doing great? No. We know the right answer, right? We say great. We just had a horrible day. Horrible morning, horrible week. We're, we're not doing great. What, we just know that's the, the, the correct answer. All right? When you call up your Christian friends to pray with you, we need, as a, as a Christian friend, we need to be conscious that we're not answering insincerely. It is not a prayer of faith and agreement if their response is, sure, I'll pray for you, just the way that they responded, oh yeah, doing great. When in their heart, they don't, they aren't expecting nothing. In fact, some Christians would be irritated if their prayer worked on you because they haven't seen their prayer work on them yet and they're just kind of upset. You know what, I got a cold too. Why don't I feel my cold first? Just being honest. The Bible says the prayer of faith. So you call somebody who you can trust to be real about what they believe. When, when my father was a missionary, he worked with a man by the name of Benancio. Benancio started over 150 churches. The miracles that took place under his ministry like, would read like the New Testament stories. And one of the things that he would do when he would go to pray for someone, he would show up, he, they worked in these mountain villages, so typically, you know, you got dirt floors, you got thatched roofs, you got stuff like that. He would show up and he would say, everybody who does not expect a miracle, leave now. And you say, what? You say, if, if you don't expect to see the demon-possessed rebuked or healed or the person that he was going to pray for, he'd say, if you don't expect to see this, go, then be gone. Go away. I only want people who are in agreement with me. The Bible says, find that person that should be elders in the church. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand. We're finding those elders in the church not because someone else in the church can't agree with you. We're just, we're trying to find people who we can trust to be sincere. It is not wrong to get you the agreement of your spouse or someone else who shares a pew with you in, in, in the aisle, as long as, as that person will be sincere and not give you the pat answer, oh, everything's fine. I'm having, you know what? I need someone to pray with me. Okay, sure, yeah, whatever. Uh, this is going to work. That's why on Sunday mornings, we, we invite people to come forward. We've, we found people who we trust and know, believe in the power of prayer 
and will come forward, and you can come up with them, and you can pray and, and believe. And it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Say that with me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Each and every one of us can be a righteous person. You don't have to be, have a title. As Christians, our response to trouble should be prayer, to joy should be praise, to sickness should be faith-filled prayer. The Bible says that the forgiveness of sin and healing are connected. How many of you trust completely that when you ask forgiveness for sin, from sin, God gives it to you? Now, you can put your hand down. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand back up. How many of you are equally convinced that God heals when you pray? The Bible says that they are the same, that they operate on the same principle, that they work together, that healing and forgiveness of sin are just as easy for God. The challenge is we don't expect that. We assign a greater degree of difficulty to healing than the forgiveness of sin. But do you remember when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and they said, how dare you heal this person on the Sabbath day? And he said, which is easier, to say, take up your bed and walk or to say that your sins are forgiven? He says, I'm doing both. It's the same, just as easy. Then here, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. How many of you grew up Catholic? The Catholic Church takes confession of sins very, very seriously. They teach that without the confession of sin, there may not be forgiveness. So they have a confessional, right? And they have this whole process that is not found in Scripture, but is based on this concept of Confession being required for forgiveness of sin. How many of you remember the story of the, blind, the, 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 beg, uh, eh, the thief on the cross? That's who I'm thinking of. The thief on the cross who was forgiven of his sin. Did he list every sin to be forgiven of? No, he didn't. Okay. So we recognize that you do not have to fully list and I, I've met people who've had this, this dilemma. They're like, okay, well, I confessed this and this and this and this and this and this, but I'm pretty sure I did some stuff in between that I don't even remember. I might have been so drunk, I'll never remember. I don't know what I did, but what if I can't confess it? Our forgiveness isn't contingent on that confession, but, but there is power in confession. It breaks a stronghold that the devil has. I grew up in the church. I was a good Christian. But when as I was in college, I figured out a few of the things that were on the internet. And I started looking at things that I shouldn't. And I knew better. And I didn't want anyone else to judge me. So 
I would do some dumb things, look at things that I shouldn't, and then, by golly, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I would stop for a month, for two months, and then I'd slip up again. And then I'd stop, and I'd slip up again, and I'd stop, and I'd slip up again, and I just kind of had this pattern going on. I'd go six months without doing, making a mistake, and then I'd go back at it. But you know what? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. This was my own private battle. I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling. As many single people, I thought, you know what? When I get married, this problem will magically go away because then I'll have a wife. And who would want that if I have a wife? I got married. I had a wife. That was great. Here's what people don't explain. Sin is like Pringles, but you can't just have one. It creates an appetite for itself. We think, we think that the appetite that we are feeding is our natural God-given appetite for a marital relationship. And so people think, well, if, if what I'm feeding is my natural God-given appetite for a relationship, when I get a good relationship, then that appetite's going to be fully satiated by the good godly relationship that I have, and so I won't have that anymore. What you don't understand is sin creates an appetite for sin, not for the healthy thing. So you get married, and yes, you now have a healthy relationship. You may, you may, you, you, it's not that you're not desired to be right. You do. All of that is happening. It does not erase the sin cycle that's already going on. So you, you have a good thing going. You're married. Everything's there. But sin is still has a hook in there. I had never, the the greatest breakthrough I ever had is when I finally opened up to someone else. And I said, this is it. When I confessed, then that secret, there was power given to the enemy through the secrecy that I kept all of my problem all hidden back in there so that nobody could see it. And as long as nobody could see it, then I was weakened Because I didn't have the support of anybody else to fight. But when I confessed, and and it wasn't that I had to find someone perfect to confess to. I found somebody else who, you know what, they wanted to confess their challenge. And we said, you know what, let's hold each other. Kind of, let's confess. We'll, We'll be in there. You know what? It broke Why? Because it wasn't hidden anymore. And I've shared with you guys before, put put things on your phone. Make Make it hard to be stupid. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. Make it hard to be stupid. Do things, make make your digital life open. Make it available. Then you know what? It's not like here's here's what I can say to you. I don't think anybody has been looking at porn in church this morning. Why? Maybe if you're at home, but those of you who are here, because somebody's right behind you, they could look right over your shoulder. You're not even tempted. You're like, well, I wasn't thinking about it here. Why? Because it's obvious. Put an app that makes it that obvious no matter when and where you are. 
Suddenly, you're just as tempted to do it as in the middle of service as you are at home. Why? Because it's just as obvious. Anyway, free advice. Next page. James 5, 17. We'll wrap up with this. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. In the Old Testament, the prophets were revered. In Jesus' day, the old-time prophets, they were like the disciples. I mean, think about it. As Christians, we think of disciples as like these superheroes, spiritual superheroes. Those are the, the disciples, disciples. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine if we, if we were a disciple? I mean, whoa. Like, what would it be like to have been one of the disciples? Oh. That's the way they thought about the prophets. Oh, the prophets. I mean, those guys, they did, they did stuff. I mean, the miracles that they whoa, whoa, whoa. And they, they, they just had them up on a pedestal. And James says they were humans just like we are. Just like you are. The prophets were humans like you are. The disciples were humans like you are. What was accomplished through them was accomplished through him. You and I are equally capable of being used by God. James 5.19, brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Let's read that again. If one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. I don't want to equate church attendance with the truth because you don't have to attend this church to be right with God. You can attend another church. If you've come to visit here and you want to go somewhere else and continue on with your walk with God, praise the Lord, you can do that. But how many times have we looked at the church group as though, like, if you leave... Like you did something unforgivable. Like, well, if you're not going to show up anymore, then I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Baloney. The Bible says if somebody leaves, we need to be like, hey, someone fell off the boat. Go back and pick them up. Go back, help them out. Get them. Recognize your own. I mean, use wisdom. If you're a recovering addict, Get someone to come along with you so you don't end up, you know, drowning with them. Be wise about the situation. But the Bible says, hey, if someone wanders from the truth, someone who knows the truth should take it upon themselves to pull them in every way possible to bring them back. And it says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I'm going to close with Matthew 6, 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We we opened up talking about riches. How many of you recognize these people who have trusted in riches thinking that that's going to make them happy, that's going to make them fulfilled, that stuff just goes away. Someone once said, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul. No matter how much you, you amassed, 
when you die, is gone. But if you pulled your friend out of a life of sin, if you helped them recognize their need for a savior, if you brought someone into the kingdom, guess what? That will follow you into eternity. Store up for yourselves, not piles of cash, but souls, lives changed, impacted, families held together, relationships with children and parents restored, salvation. These are things that we can keep. Jim Elliott said, he is a fool who gives what he cannot keep. Or sorry, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let that be us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person listening today. Lord, we pray that you would inspire them to walk out the purposes that you have for them. Lord, we recognize that we are forgiven and right with you because of the confession of our mouth and the belief in our heart. If that's you and you know that you're right with God, I want to invite you to just raise your hand for a moment. If you don't know that you're right with God, if you, you hope that you are but you don't know for sure, the Bible says know that you have salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Whether you're here in person or you're watching or listening online, if that's you, I want to invite you right now, raise your hand. Say, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Raise that hand. We're going to pray. So everyone just repeat with me. And if that's you, Say this with conviction. Say, dear God, I believe that you love me. That Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so my sin could be forgiven. I accept that forgiveness and I make you the Lord of my life. I will live for you I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If that's you and you're online, please send us a message. You can do so privately. You can put a comment on the YouTube video or the Facebook video that you're watching, and we will get back with you. We've got a digital resource we'd like to give you. If there was a hand raised here and I missed it, please come on down front. I have that same gift um, right down here for you.